Our scripture reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. So we are studying, week by week, the Lord's Prayer, petition by petition. Now, last week, we looked at the third petition, which was, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that petition, we saw Jesus making a transition in our prayers from seeking and honoring God and His heavenly reality, His coming heavenly reality, to living for God in this present earthly reality, our daily lives. If we've been praying to God as our Heavenly Father, if we've been asking that we honor His name and promote His reputation, if we've been praying for His kingdom to come, if we've been praying that we would be able to obey His will here on earth, then a dramatic change is going to take place in what you desire and what you expect from God, and what you expect for your daily life. If you've been praying that way, well, naturally, a change is going to take place in what you ask God for in your prayers. And so the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. And that is a precious thing to ask your Creator for. This is not spiritual symbolism. Daily bread is actually the stuff that we need in this life. And what's so precious about this is Jesus is teaching us that our Heavenly Father cares about the mundane essentials of this normal, ordinary, boring, messy, complicated life and world in which we live. Christianity cares very much about the physical, material aspects of the human experience. Now, according to a USA Today article published in 2019 about uh, some recent research, the average American adult spends about $1,500 a month on non-essential items, items like um, gym memberships or Netflix subscriptions or video games. $15,000 a month on non-essentials, which adds up to about $18,000 a year. Now, about half of that, according to the research, $9,000 a year is spent by the average American adult on eating in restaurants, eating takeout food, buying drinks, coffee, and bottled water. $9,000 a year on takeout food, restaurant food, drinks, coffee, and bottled water. Now, I'm not bringing that up to make any of us feel bad. (laughs) The the point is that the research underscores that most of us are, we're all living in a society where most people and most of us right here are not worried about where our next meal is going to come from. Now, not everybody in the world and even some of the people in the society around us don't feel that way. They do worry, right? 
But in this room, where most of us, or all of us, are not worried about where our next meal is going to come from, there are several people in the room who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And those are the kids. Think about it. Right? Young children, your children, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Honestly, they don't. Right? And so they say, Mom, what's for dinner? Or Dad, can we go out to eat tonight? And they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, but they're not worried about it. They don't know where it's coming from, but the children are not worried about it. And that really gets to the heart of Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in this petition, give us this day our daily bread. In asking for our daily bread, we are trusting that our Heavenly Father knows best what is needed. And so what I hope you're going to see today is that Christian prayer asks God for the things that we need to do His will on earth. The things we need to do His will every day. And as I unpack that statement, I'm going to talk about three things. Contentment, generosity, and joy. Being content with what God provides. Being generous also with what He provides. And finally having joy with what he's provided. Contentment, generosity, and joy with God's provision. By praying the words, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us to be content with what God provides. Now, most scholars now say uh, that the intended literal original meaning of the phrase in the Greek is something like this, give us today our bread for the coming day. Give us today what we need for tomorrow is essentially what Jesus is getting at. Of course, bread representing all of our basic needs. He'll say later on in Matthew chapter 6 verse 31, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, life's essentials. Now, it's true that Old Testament Jewish uh, wisdom literature, the Proverbs, taught wisdom on being diligent and working hard and saving up and storing up. That's all very important. Uh, God is not against your 401k. He's not against developing a, a, uh, a life insurance policy or a retirement plan. But as the ancient Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for four decades had to learn this lesson, Jesus is teaching his disciples, we must learn to live a life of simplicity and trust. And our prayers should reflect that and prepare us for that. Now, why should you ask for your daily bread? Why should why should you, especially if, if, you're, if you would consider yourself to be wealthy, and look, even, even if you're middle class or, or under middle class, in America you're living in the most prosperous society in history, right? So let's just, for argument's sake, say that most of us, um, relatively speaking, are wealthy. Why should wealthy people ask God for daily provision? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons, but today I'm just going to mention two obvious ones. We ask for our daily bread because, first, asking keeps you humble. All that you have earned or acquired, worked hard for, or all that you have inherited 
That has all come to you by God's providential circumstances. You didn't choose where you were born or how you were raised. You didn't choose the ways in which you are specifically naturally gifted to do some of the things that you do. In some ways, you chose how you were trained in life. In other ways, not so much. You were discipled. You were mentored. You were taught. uh, You learned from others. And in all of these ways, God is the giver. God is the author of the situation in in which you were in. So asking Him daily keeps you humble. But second, asking keeps you dependent. Now, you may have enough food, you may have ample clothing, or shelter, or security. But you will always lack other things in life. You'll never have everything that you need. For instance, you may not have wisdom to know how to use the resources or the money that you've been given. You may may have shelter, uh, but you may lack confidence. You may lack peace. You may lack safety or friendship or support. And these are essentials in living this life. Uh, They're essential like bread. So asking keeps us humble, but asking also keeps us dependent. Uh, uh, So asking God daily for life's essentials cultivates in us humility and dependence. As we learn from the teacher in Proverbs chapter 30, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. There it is. Feed me the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 38 through 9. You see, wisdom asks for contentment. Contentment with what you have, and even contentment with what you don't have. And Paul's, the Apostle Paul's response to Jesus' teaching here was very profound. Paul, uh, late in his life, as a prisoner chained to a Roman guard, day in, day out, so that he couldn't leave his house, he wrote a letter to his friends, the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, where, where Paul had been saying previously, rejoice, right? In all things, rejoice in the Lord. And in that famous passage, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And Paul would go on to write, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret that Paul discovered. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see that that famous word, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's, It's not just for football quarterbacks winning the Super Bowl. That phrase is for people struggling to live day by day keeping their eyes on their God and His provision, trusting Him no matter what they face. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That was the secret to Paul having joy in any and every circumstance. So contentment is a real powerful safeguard for us against the consumeristic materialism that is all around us and even in us. 
in our desires and in our prayer lists with God. So asking teaches us humility and dependence, which leads to contentment with what God gives and with what God withholds. So if we're content with what we need, not necessarily what we want, but if we're content with what we truly need, then what do we do when God provides more? We practice generosity with it. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are teaching ourselves to be generous with God's provision. Think about the words. Think about the plural. Right? It's not just our Father in heaven, but it's give us our daily bread. Right? The plural words here reminds me that others have greater needs than I have, or at least equally legitimate needs as mine. So I pray for what others also need to do God's will on earth. And and for some people, it's as simple as basic food and shelter. What they need to love God and love their their neighbor is a meal, clothing, and a roof over their head. For some people, that's, that's, that's all they truly need, and they may not even have it. So I start there. Now, for other people, they may have food and clothing and shelter, but but what they may need to do God's will is they may need wisdom or discernment. They may need safety and protection because not everybody feels or is safe walking down the street or driving in their car. Some people, I I pray that God would give them skill to do what they are trained to do and what they alone must do. Or I pray for deliverance because some people are oppressed. Or I pray for discipline because some people need a kick in the pants to do what God has called them to do. But I pray for others' needs as well as my own. And then I pray, I pray specifically for others' needs. Not because I know, what they, I know best what they need. I may not. And not because I'm trying to direct God. I know God's going to do what He chooses to do in people's lives. But I pray specifically for the needs of others because their needs must be real to me. Give us our daily bread reminds me that in God's economy, I don't own what I have. Right? God says to me, essentially, what I give you today, I can take away from you tomorrow. So I have to hold everything loosely. Now, I understand that as, a, that as an American citizen and as a resident of the state of Maryland, I basically own my home, right? Fine, great. But in God's economy, that's His. That belongs to Him, and I'm a steward of it, right? So Christians practice generosity. We're not only praying about the needs of others, but in life, realistically, we are providing for the needs of others according to however God has blessed us. So in the early church, in the book of Acts, and in the letters, in the epistles of the New Testament, and then in early church history, the first century and onward, we see this emphasis, this default emphasis on generosity. Like the Apostle Paul saying that that when he came to Jerusalem, and he was received by the apostles, especially the, uh, the, the, the three pillars, John and Peter, and James. He records in Galatians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, 
Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Right? Uh, they said, Paul, it looks like God is calling you to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but remember the poor. And so, in the early Christian church, generosity was prioritized. And in the early centuries and on through church history, we, we discovered that, that things like orphanages and hospitals, right, and what we call now humanitarianism, uh, the foundation all comes out of Christian generosity. And so the church has always practiced or should be practicing. And this church, Deep Run Church, practices generosity every Sunday in our tithes and offerings. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense, one of the things we're doing by bringing our offerings and our tithes weekly as a church family is we are remembering the poor. We are remembering those among us who have basic needs. And so we have our own mercy fund for, for our own who have needs. And extending out from that, we provide for the essential needs of some of our local neighbors who are without food and clothing and shelter. Now, of course, they need the gospel more than anything. More than anything, we need salvation. We need to be forgiven by God. We need to be reconciled to our Creator. We need the gospel more than anything. Of course we do. But what we discover in the fourth petition is that God is still concerned with the mundane. He still cares about food and shelter and clothing. Now look, you may have less money than somebody else, but you may have more practical wisdom or patience or time on your hands to be of help to them. Whatever your resource is, whatever God has given you an abundance of. In contentment, we practice generosity. So cultivate in your prayer life requests for what God wants, not necessarily what you want. Cultivate a prayer life that requests what God wants for you and for your fellow man. And here's just a simple example of how you can pray that way. Our Father in heaven, we praise you. We worship you because you are the creator and the sustainer of all things. You are our helper. You help all of your creatures. And you are the source of everything good. And so, Father and creator, I confess that I have not been content with your gifts. I've been greedy for more, and I've been envious of what you've given to others. And I have often complained and sulked for what you've not given me or what I've not been able to, uh, uh, to obtain. And now, Father, I thank you that Jesus, your Son, became poor so that I could become rich, rich in your eternal blessings, rich as an heir of your coming kingdom. And I thank you that in Christ, I can flourish because of your grace, your favor, your forgiveness. Help me now to flourish as your forgiven, adopted, reconciled child. I ask that you would give me what I need now, Father. Give me what I need to do your will in my home, at work, in my job, in my community, with my friends and neighbors. Even in my conflicts, give me what I need to resolve them. 
And Father, I pray for others at every level of society, government, education, science, the arts. I pray that you would give others what they need to love you and to love one another. So there's just a very simple representative way for you to pray. Give us this day our daily bread according to the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication pattern. It's just an example. It's, it's something that sometimes I, I find helpful. So cultivate a prayer life that requests what God wants for you and for your fellow man. But what have you been asking God for in your prayers? And why are you discouraged that you lack it? It's true that Jesus said in John chapter 14 and other places, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Haven't you wondered why Jesus said that? Haven't you asked him for things that you thought were good prayer requests and he hasn't provided, at least not in any way that you can tell? Now consider what Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, consider that in the context of the Lord's Prayer. Are your prayer requests consistent with hallowing God's name? Honoring His name and reputation in your life and in the world? Are your prayer requests consistent with the agenda and priorities of His coming kingdom? Are the things you have asked God for and have not yet seen in your life, are they His will or are they your will? What are you trying to see done on earth in your life? You know, when we pray in Jesus' name, you know, you just put that phrase on the end of a prayer request. It's not like rubbing a genie lamp. We must pray and ask in agreement with what we already know is the will of God. We are limited creatures. And what I mean by that is we can't be certain what is good for us or what is not good for us. I mean, beyond the basics of food and clothing and shelter, you don't know what you don't know. Can you honestly be certain that you always know what is good for you and what is not? I love, I I mean, I love apple pie. I love it so much that I would bake it just for myself. I love apple pie so much that I would skip dinner just for apple pie. I would make apple pie my dinner. I love it so much. And we know that that wouldn't be good. C.S. Lewis once wrote, If God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, uh, he makes some profound insight on this situation. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Not only are we limited creatures, we are selfish creatures as well. 
who live in discontentment, and that contentment fosters in us envy and greed and fear. And those are the things that are underlaying so many problems that we see in our society today. So much of what is beneath the unrest and polarization and hatred are things like envy and greed and fear because we are often discontent with what God has provided or what He has withheld. If you are not content in what God has sovereignly provided for you or withheld from you, then perhaps your desires and your expectations need some rearranging. And so, friend, you've got to go back to the basics. If you're dissatisfied, if you're angry, you've got to go back to the basics. And so give us this day our daily bread teaches us to be joyful. To be joyful with what God has already provided for us. If we cannot, if we cannot be content, we're certainly not going to be generous. Any kind of generosity done out of fear or obligation or the desire to impress or because we're pressured or feel guilty, that's not coming from contentment. But contentment produces true generosity. And if we're not content and if we're not generous in our prayers and in our actions, we've got to go back to the basics and we've got to remember why we are truly blessed. And joy is the source of true contentment that leads to generosity. And here's where joy comes from, remembering that God is truly generous. And the proof of God's unlimited generosity was His priceless gift, the gift of His one and only Son whom He loved. Jesus, who came and lived this messy, stinky, ordinary life in which every day He needed food and shelter and clothing. He came into this life as a helpless baby, completely unable to provide uh, the basic the basic essentials for himself. And so he had to rely on, on his mom and his dad and other people, and ultimately he had to rely on his, as a human being, on his heavenly Father, just like we do. And then Jesus gave up that precious gift, his life. He gave it up for you and me. And that's the proof of God's unlimited generosity. Paul would go on to say in, in that passage about being content and rejoicing while he was in prison, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he, he said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, God's provided for me, and now I'm convinced he's going to provide for you. According to what? According to your rights as an American citizen? According to how you've earned it? according to how you've suffered and you've been oppressed, and so you have, you have the moral high ground? That's, is that how God is going to supply all of your needs? No. It says, according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation for how God provides for us. And Paul would put it another way in another letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
He wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the proof of God's unlimited generosity. And when the weight of that the precious gift of His Son who gave up His precious life for us, when the weight of that hits you, the result is joy, even if you're in prison, even if if you're hungry, even if you're lonely, even if you're struggling. Whatever you're lacking, whatever need that you lack is, when the weight of God's precious gift in Jesus hits you, the result is joy. And that joy, as we see in Paul in Philippians 4, that joy leads to contentment with whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you have to go through it. Contentment, which leads to true generosity in your prayer life and ultimately in your actions and in your living. So I think it, it really sums it all up well what, what the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote After all, we ourselves are only at Jesus' table because He made a habit of celebrating parties with all the wrong people. Isn't it about time we started to copy Him? You see that? Jesus emptied Himself to fill you, you who didn't deserve it, the last likely person to receive the grace and favor of God. Jesus emptied Himself to fill you. Now, in that joy, the joy of knowing that, now you empty yourself to fill up others. Christian prayer asks God for the things that we need to do His will on earth. Prayer requests immersed in a desire to see God glorified and others blessed. Do your prayer requests look like that? Do our prayer requests as materialistic Americans look like this? Let's begin asking ourselves, what do we need to flourish? Not to be happy, not to be successful, not to get ahead, not to win, not to be left alone, not to enjoy ourselves, but what do we need to flourish? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. True human flourishing by the grace of God, sons and daughters who have been given the righteousness of Christ. What do you need to flourish? Well, here's what you need to flourish. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you need to flourish. So ask God in your prayers for whatever supports that. And Jesus says, I will give it to you. I will do it. So cultivate a prayer life that requests what God wants for you and your fellow man. Let's pray. Father, we confess that our prayers are filled with selfish desires, with misguided opinions of what we need, of what we want, of what others need or want. And uh, we are sorry for it. We confess that we often think we know more than you about what we truly need, and we're angry when we don't get it, 
where we miss, we don't have the spiritual insight to see how you answer our prayers. Oh, Father, forgive us. We're sorry. Teach us how to pray as Jesus did. Teach us to think as Jesus did. Teach us how to desire and expect from you what you want for us and for our fellow human beings. We ask by your Spirit that you would fill our prayers with requests to see your will done on earth, in our communities, in government, in education, in the arts. We ask that you would fill our prayer requests with a desire to see that your name is lifted up above all other names. Father, change the way we pray. And Father, I ask for anyone listening, if they do not have the basics, food, shelter, clothing, that Father, you would provide, and that even through us, you would provide it. And Father, for that most basic need, a right relationship, a reconciled relationship with you, forgiveness, love, and eternal favor, the greatest need we have, Father, would you provide it? And would you give us joy that Jesus became poor so that we could become your true heirs? Father, thank you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.